Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Matt Sporthouse. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson. Let's jump right into things. As you all know, Andrew Luck, the starting quarterback, well, now the former starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, retired Saturday night during the team's preseason game. Well, he officially retired after the game, but the NFL insiders leaked information during the game, and the fans received the news just like the rest of us did, either on Twitter or whenever you're watching a game on a different TV station in the ESPN family and the breaking news popped up at the bottom. The fans were very upset. They were taking off the jerseys, taking off their hats, some crying. They had a lot of faith in this man and they that we call Andrew Luck. Anyway, Andrew Luck played seven seasons in Indianapolis. Now let's get this straight. He just was he didn't just play those seasons. He was one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. He really kept the Colts franchise afloat, although they didn't really give him much to work with as far as like building up an offensive line to help protect him or even a really good run game to kind of offset the defense. So pretty much linebackers and defense coordinators were able to kind of like key in on the pass game because they knew either Andrew was going to have to scramble outside the pocket or that he was just going to have to throw the ball. But there wasn't really too much of a run game to threaten. Like, for example, the Cowboys have Ezekiel Elliott, so it really takes a lot of pressure off Dak Prescott. In the, press con- in the press conference post game, he revealed that part of the reason him leaving the NFL is because he's been the const- he has been in this constant cycle of injury, pain, rehab, and folks have to consistently doing that year in and year out when you're playing a contact sport. That really takes a toll on you physically and mentally because you're rehabbing your body to go break it again. If like put that together because at the context board you knock them out you go get like if you talk to most NFL guys it's just it's not a matter of if I'm getting surgery this offseason it is which surgery am I getting or which ones like multiple of them so eh but it's part of you know it's what you do when you sign up the game but also the nfl is a different kind of job so whatever injuries you take whether you get the surgery or not you when you get older you really start feeling those surgeries and whatnot like the screws and whatnot like that really impacts maybe how you walk and uh, things of that nature uh post sporting career like right now it's like whatever you're young when you get older your bones deteriorate and stuff like that so i think andrew probably weighed all those options and that's when he did Thought all thought all of it over and somewhere along the line said like you know what maybe this time for me to move on and try something different. Over his career, the injuries that he suffered were tremendous. He had a torn cartilage and two ribs, partially torn abdomen, a lacerated kidney that left him peeing blood. And that's a little graphic, but I had to say it though so you could understand it. At least one concussion, a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder, and he's a quarterback, so a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder is tremendous. And this mysterious calf ankle issue that kind of led to this retirement. After all those injuries, you and I, like, I don't think most people know about all of the injuries, and there probably were more, not to mention with that one concussion, that's just the one that was reported. There are probably many more, especially the hits that he was taking, but he just reported that one. Because think about it, if he's carrying the whole offense on, or really the whole franchise on his back, like, it might be a thing that's like, I might have a concussion, but if I go out in this game, we might not make it to the playoffs, so he might have chose to play in it. And, like, it's easy to be like, well, just don't play. But when you're thinking about you having the whole franchise on your back, it's a little bit different. Gotta, what is it? Gotta be in issues to see how he walks. Whatever, you get the expression. After, yeah, like I said, all the, all those injuries, yeah, I would be like, yeah, let me try something different. And especially when you're as smart as Andrew is, he has a degree from uh, Stanford. Yes, that's Stanford in California, the really smart one. Richard Sherman always went there. Fun fact, uh, with in architectural design. So I'm sure there's some ventures out there that he enjoys other than playing football and getting hit. Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp believes that doctors probably told him he was nowhere close to being ready because you know he might be football ready but like actually like really ready because you know if you're football ready yeah you can go play but as far as like being ready to go 
at the most healthiest state possible he was probably far from it so Andrew had to think about that like do I want to put myself through this again because a lot of people don't know I think it was the year 2016 Antonio Cromartie was saying that it Andrew was hurt, but he was still playing. So in practice, he couldn't. He, all he could basically do was the walkthroughs or the individual sessions with the other quarterbacks. But as far as like going through scrimmages and stuff in practice, he wasn't even able to do. So I don't think he wanted to do that again. Also, Chris Carter uh, brought up a good point. We have no idea how many painkillers Andrew had been taking throughout the years. And those painkillers are really easy to get addicted to. Not to mention, you don't want to be taking too many of those because there are side effects. And so all these things definitely went into the equation. The fans are booing him as he left off that field for the last time. But nonetheless, if we're being honest, most of them probably wouldn't take half the beating he did and continue to play if they had to deal with like the pain and stuff that he probably had dealt with. Not to mention, Andrew has already made it, because nobody really wants to say this, but Andrew's already made $104 million and established himself as one of the elite quarterbacks without even reaching his full potential. So his legacy is kind of cemented. Now, as far as the Hall of Fame, eh, I don't know if he's going to get to Hall of Fame because he didn't play the whole time there, but his legacy is cemented as being one of the better quarterbacks the NFL has seen. Now, on the flip side of things, he will probably give up around a quarter of a billion dollars because he's like 29, so he probably has two more contracts left in him. I would say of 125, $140 million a piece, depending upon how the money situation goes with these different quarterbacks. They keep raising the bar. And uh, I would say if things were going as they are now, because now they're starting to like help get, bring more offensive linemen, better offensive linemen and things to the table, I feel like they would at least made a Super Bowl, if not win one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he made a return back to football. Shannon and Chris both said that's the very same thing. It's like because it's like give him some time and away from football to where he's not being pressured, just to like heal up his own body. Maybe he misses it because as they always say, it's nothing like 85,000 chanting your name, little kids looking up to you, all the things. So we'll figure out if Andrew decides to make a return because think about it, even Michael Jordan made a return after he said he was done with it. So just give the guy some time to heal on his own and we'll see if we see Andrew look back in the blue and white in the coach uniform. Now, for some uh, college football, the University of Miami played the Florida Gators to kick off the college football season on Saturday, and it was one of the most exciting yet sloppy football games I've seen this far. Uh, I've seen thus far. Even the head coach of Florida, Dan Mullen, uh, he, he was the head coach of the winning team, labeled it as an exhausting, and he wasn't even playing. So you know this game was a mess. Both teams had 23 penalties for 218 yards. Florida had four turnovers, and they were the winning team. Miami fumbled a point deep in its own territory trying to give away the game. Uh, Miami started two freshmen on the offensive line, and basically it just, they basically just told those guys to fall slowly at the hands of the Florida defense of uh, Florida's pass rush. Florida had 10 sacks and 16 tackles for loss. That is not like a norm for those of you who may not watch a lot of football. That is not normal. 10 sacks a game is horrific. Not to mention that Miami had a freshman quarterback that was playing. I think he's a redshirt freshman, but a freshman nonetheless. So he hasn't even seen that many looks. And so he's just trying to get comfortable. And he's getting sacked 10, he's getting 10 sacks and 16 tackles for loss, which means there were more plays where they were at him. It just happened that he was able to get around them. Both teams, uh, both teams forgot to tackle, it seemed like throughout this game and it led to a lot of long scores but it also really highlighted the play the playmakers that are playing in this game the hurricanes had a really interesting thing it kind of reminds you of the old you they had only four scholarship corner not the fact that they only have four scholarship corners suit up but it's the fact that a lot of them were in trouble so it reminded you of the use of the ray lewis's and the warren saps and those guys 
But also, four scholarship corners suiting up for a game is not normal. You usually have like eight to nine, maybe at least. At this point, you have four scholarship corners. You actually might pull some safeties down to play corner. You think corners are corners for a reason. Safeties are safeties for a reason. So that's not like a, just a whatever. They probably had a lot of walk-ons that were super excited, though, because that means a lot of walk-ons probably got to come out and play for the Hurricanes because they were so short in the defensive backfield. Nonetheless, the number eight ranked Florida Gators pulled off the win with the final score being 24 to 20. Even though they tried to give away that game, they had like two or three pass interference calls at the end of the game. Two, yes, two or three on that last drive for Miami, which really put Miami in good field position. And some of those calls came on first on fourth down too. But the, nonetheless, the Gators were happy to escape with the win. I'm sure not one player is looking forward to watching the film of this game. And position coaches and coordinators will make sure these guys bring their notebooks. Because after the game, they go watch film, have your notebooks out. You break down the film, correct, like you find the mistakes. You correct them the following week of practice and get ready for the next team, uh, the next week's opponents. One thing to note for sure, like I said before, there are a ton of playmakers all over the field. And it's actually a really good thing, whether you win or lose, to be battle-tested this early in the season. Because when you get later in the year, you'll be able to remember the same lessons you've learned for whether winning or losing that tight game. So it's better to have those tight games at the beginning of the year, especially with young players, rather than at the end. Because if you lose them at the end, that's it for you. If you lose them at the beginning, you still got some time to like rejuvenate your team and get ready to go. Also, there was definitely a lot of speed on the field. And that South Florida grit that you kind of see established in Pop Warner and in flag football from the kids in Fort Lauderdale and things. That's when, like, St. Thomas Aquinas used to be, like, really big. Those schools down there, those kids have a grit, and they carry from flag football all the way up to, like, college football, and they make them, like, ferocious competitors. Guys flying around. Like, I swear to you not, every time a Florida guy got hit on the Miami sideline, I swear he got punched two or three times. It's just a grit that they bring with them. Some call it unfair. I call it college football. Now, on another news, bringing a little bit north, uh, South Carolina in the Battle of the Carolinas plays Char- uh, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels in Bank of America Stadium on Saturday. North Ca- the North Carolina Tar Heels have the former Texas head coach, Mac Brown, as their head coach, and he will lead the bunch out. From what I've heard, the University of North Carolina players love him. And this will be and for so I don't really know too much about that team, but I expect them to come. They'll be playing in state, so I expect them to have a pretty good fan show for that game. The South Carolina, on the hand, last time they played in Bank of America Stadium, they were demolished by Virginia, and I'm pretty sure that was in the Belt Bowl. So they'll be happy to get that bad taste out of their mouth because that was the last time that they played. Because that was the last game of last season. So this will be a good matchup. I don't really have a prediction. Uh, well, I guess I probably should go ahead and make one. I'm going to go ahead and go South Carolina. We're going to see where that goes. Hopefully they don't disappoint me. Clemson, on the other hand, will uh, touch the Howard's Rock and run down the hill on Thursday night as they go play their arch rivals. It used to be a bigger rivalry, but now Clemson become kind of dominant. But if you're an old Clemson fan, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they play Georgia Tech in Death Valley, and this should be exciting. Death Valley would be rocking. If you if I had tickets, I would definitely be in there. Well, obviously, but like if I could have money to buy the tickets, I would still be in there because there are very few there are very few environments or viewings like Death Valley on a Saturday night. I mean, well, this is gonna be on a Thursday night, but Thursday night, Saturday night. Anyway, a night game in Clemson is always super exciting. Interesting fact: Clemson lost pretty much their whole defensive line. They still have Xavier Thomas and those guys, but and the other guys, KJ Henry 
who are expected to be uh, really good players. And not to mention, Clemson has nothing but five stars and four stars on even on their scout team defensive line. But it's going to be an interesting see because, you know, they lost Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, all those guys. And Georgia Tech has let go of the old triple option offense with the firing. I mean, not the firing. No, 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 no. The retiring of their former head coach, Paul Johnson. And with that school being downtown in Atlanta, I really expect for their recruiting to pick up. Because, see, it was one thing to, to have the triple option offense. But when they were recruiting guys before, they those guys, especially defense players, knew they were going to be in chop down because they do, like, chop blocking every day in practice. But now, with them being in the middle of Atlanta, uh, ACC Division One school, I can imagine, like, they'll start getting a lot more top recruits, maybe guys that want to stay in Georgia. But for this game... Is it, I don't know how what Clemson's really going to be going off for as far as what, how Clemson's defense are prepared because they don't really know. All they know is a triple option. They'll probably study the offensive coordinator who is now at Georgia Tech to figure out, maybe get a basic idea of what they'll be running. And you know Clemson's offense will probably be hitting all cylinders with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Amari uh, Rogers had a torn ACL, so I'm not sure if he'll be back. But, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the Clemson Tigers side do. I'm pretty sure they win this game, but I don't think they. I don't think it's anything closer than 14. But we'll see what happens. Also, another big matchup is Auburn versus Oregon. This is a rematch of the 2010 national championship game. I don't know you all if you all remember. That's when Cam Newton was playing. It was amazing. Cam is tenure at Auburn, but you know. Oregon also has Oregon has a Heisman hopeful quarterback Justin Herbert. We don't really hear about him too much in the South because we focus on our own talent. But out west, he's a big deal. He's a Heisman hopeful, and really, like this game could potentially put the Pac-12 back on the map because it's college football has really become kind of a regional thing. Like Alabama, Clemson, South was a statewide. Florida, South Carolina. Georgia, maybe Alabama, maybe Louisiana, if you will. Good talent, but not if they win or not. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. So this game could potentially put, if Oregon wins, could potentially put Pac, the Pac-12 back on the map. I'm kind of rooting. Just I like to see the more of the country get involved, so I would hope that Oregon would win. But I would not be surprised if Auburn takes it because Auburn brings a very physical style of defense and offense to the table, at least in the trenches. Now, as far as skill, guys, they're big, fast, but they like to move around. It's like a triple option and, and shotgun. Uh, I think they call it the read option offense. But, yeah, it's time for the Chubb Pack 12 to make a statement. If they don't, I feel like they will go back to being the afterthought of college football once again because I don't see the University of Southern Cal or UCLA becoming good anytime soon. But that is it for this edition of Matt Sport House. I've been your host, Matthew Anderson. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or concerns, please hit me up on Twitter at Matt the Chosen One, M-A-T-T-T-H-E-C-H-O-S-E-N, and the number one. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you.